0: Hello and welcome back to Fully Equipped. I am part of the hosting crew, Ryan Brath, and I'd like to welcome my one and only co-host for today's episode, Gene Parente.
1: How are we doing today? Scraping the bottom of the barrel with me, buddy, but I'm here. I'm wet, I'm cold, and I'm here. It has not stopped raining in California. Just, just, it just keeps raining. Now it's all good with the drought, but starting to get a little tired of it. We pay enough in taxes, we don't expect this much rain. It's the sunshine tax, isn't it? I think that's what you told me last time. Why don't you? Why don't you sum up the first time I met you? You were standing on a corner, and what did you say about California? Well, if I'm
0: if I'm being real honest, Gene. Uh, <laughs> oh, please! We, it's,
1: it's we such met on awesome co- the corner. An awesome I can't
0: remember where it was. We were right down by the water. We met down there. You were walking with a case of beer, and I said, "This is why you guys are all small assholes because it's always <laughs> sunny here." And I'm telling you, I, I, but here's the thing I, when I went to, I was in Arizona last week for a, uh, a pre-launch event for some stuff that's coming out in a few weeks and it snowed, like it actually snowed. And I, and like, it didn't stay on the ground, but we're outside. We're like huddled up and it's like, I wore two sweatshirts outside, like trying to golf balls. It was nuts. So like, you know what? I get it. Weird weather's everywhere. (laughs) Just, no, we can't help ourselves, but, uh, you know,
1: but we are smug assholes. We <laughs> bitch about the weather. We bitch about a little rain. So, you know, guilty as charged. So we, we've we got I, a pretty. Th- I, I actually tried oh, to get sorry, a go hat ahead. with that. I, no, I was going to say, I tried to get a hat with that, but they wouldn't print it. So.
0: Oh, um. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. So, so how are week, you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Um, you know, there's a lot to talk about this week. It's only you and I, but uh, there there is a lot to Uh-oh. cover because, I mean, <laughs> First of all, a man who we, we generally talk about. Now, look, is his play like up to his general standard? No, but you know he's got some new gear in the bag and that's Bryson. And the reason it's so interesting is because he's got unique gear in the bag. So we're going to touch on that and some clubs from Ping as well as like how Ping was able to turn these around so quickly, which I think is actually a very interesting kind of part of their whole philosophy. The other thing, too, that I want to ask you specifically about, I'm going to let you go nuts on this topic. Are there any more crappy clubs anymore? I get this all the time, and at this point, I'm kind of like when people are asking about major OEMs, I'm kind of like, is there anything bad? Like, you know, if you're particular to an OEM, you can find anything that's great. Are you? Is there reference for one over the other versus looks or performance and all these different things? But we'll get into that. I don't want to. I don't want to because I know if I ask you that
1: question, I'm going to set you off, and I don't want to set you off yet. Um Do I'm, I'm, you notice I'm keeping constrained? I'm it, actually allowing you to navigate this and not just completely bringing it off the rails uh, two minutes in so continue and we've,
0: we've got a robot test video which just got released uh, a couple days ago which we're going to touch on and last but not least following up from last week's episode which i was not a part of but i did listen to gene i do listen to the shows when i'm not a part of it because i'm curious i want to know what everyone talks about everyone's asking me questions although you said Thank i was crazy you. for doing it
1: i did not i just was surprised that's all Absolutely. Okay, maybe I did say you were fucking crazy, but sorry. Anyways, go ahead. <laughs>
0: so what I was saying, and then the other part of this is, you know, the Honda Classic last week was very interesting because Billy Horschel talks so much about hitting a fade and how so many top players are playing fades. And you got Chris Kirk and Eric Cole, uh, uh, Yeah, Chris Kirk and Eric Cole, who are both like exclusive drawers of the golf ball, which I thought was really fascinating. Um, but before we get into our first topic, we have to let you know, and we are very excited to welcome back golf pride as a sponsor of fully equipped. And with this, you know, there's a lot to talk about. The first of first off is the fact that, you know, the grip is the only connection you have between you and your golf clubs. So you want them to be consistent. You want them to offer traction. You want them to feel the same from club to club. You know, some players they just kind of mix mash whatever's on their clubs. And if you use a mid-size grip on your irons and all of a sudden you buy a, a wedge off the rack and it's got a standard size grip, all of a sudden you wonder why you have tension in your in your golf swing when you're at the when you're in your short game. It's because you're trying to death grip your golf club because you don't have the right grip on it. And golf ride has a ton of options when it comes to materials, when it comes to textures, when it comes to sizes. And this is a huge part of this is because of the amount of testing and what they do with golfers at their Global Innovation Center, which is located uh, in beautiful Pinehurst, which is not too far from the golf courses, by the way. So if you ever get down there, it's actually it's a very cool building. You actually see it on the way to uh, number eight. But uh, some of the like grips that they offer, which I think are really important for a lot of players is. You've got the tried and true MCC. You know, at this point, it's almost 20 years old, which is kind of crazy to think about. But it offers that traction in the top hand with cord, but you have that softer option in your lower hand. Then you have things like the Z grip, which offers a ton of texture all the way through with grip. With Because it is a cord grip. It's a firmer grip for those that want the ultimate in traction. And then on the other side of this, you've got the all new CPX which is the softest performance script they've ever made as well as the classic CP two, which comes in a pro uh, model as well as a, um, a softer wrap version as well. So again, there's all kinds of ways you can go with this. And we're also excited because they are helping uh, us with producing some video content, which I'm very excited to a lot of people keep asking about my shop and we're going to show that off a little bit more and taking you inside the shop and Showing you how you can not just you know, tweak your grips but also do other things with your golf clubs that are help that are really going to help your game. Now, because for listeners of Fully Equipped, we do have a code for you so if you do go to golfpride.com use the code fullyequipped FULL Y-E-Q-U-I-P-P-E-D and get free shipping on your next order at golfpride.com. That is available for all orders in the United States with no minimum purchase required. So if you want to try a couple grips, it's a great way to do it and a great way to get your season started. So, all right, Gene, let's kick it off. Let's talk about Bryson's single-length irons and the fact that Ping turned them around in like, I guess, like two days.
1: That's... Pretty damn impressive, number one. And it actually is going to dovetail into our second conversation about Kirk and Cole. Um, but in a weird sort of way that only Bryson can do. One of the things that Bryson loves, and he loves it in all of his clubs, is to turn the ball over, as you uh previewed. And he's a huge He's addicted to the draw. He's not addicted to the snap hook, doesn't like the snap hook, doesn't like the the uh, the push, but he likes that nice draw. And he feels like a consistently weighted set, which you can talk to because you've built more clubs than I think I've ever thought of. How complicated that is in, in the weights of all of the different irons. But he feels like by having a consistent weight, it allows him to turn that ball over and create that draw that that he's looking for. And the fact that Ping could do that in a very short period of time is uh, absolutely amazing.
0: I think the one thing that was really cool, and, and all credit to Jonathan, he he talked through a lot of this with uh, the team over at Ping uh, and kind of getting into the nitty gritty. And so you can check out that full uh, piece over at golf.com. But one of the things was how they had to grind some of the shorter irons to get some weight out of them. And also Mm -hmm. what makes ping, it's not unique because there are other companies that offer some similar options with their irons um, is a toe weight. So rather than say, if you're going to use a um, let's say you're going to use uh, an eight gram tip weight in an iron to get it up to spec or whatever it happens to be what ping will do instead is they will take a four gram weight in the hosel and a four gram weight out in the toe. So it actually boosts MOI. So you're not just adding weight to the hosel, you're actually adding weight equal parts on the heel and toe, which is, is to me is like a fascinating way to actually go about it. Right. Because they mm-hmm. used to use the custom tuning ports in the back, but you're adding a lot of weight in the middle of the club head, which makes it feel good. It, it adds uh, density there, but you, you lose mass on the outside of the club head. And then from there, they've, they've kind of adapted that. So the new I two thirty is, is the iron that Bryson went with. And they had to not only add weight into the longer clubs because of the, you know, when you take an iron, that's supposed to be say 38 and a half inches long being a four iron and you make it 37 and a half inches, you lose an inch, you have to add 14 grams somehow. And Mm -hmm. to me, that's the fascinating element of like how they did it. But, the other part of it too, and to, to your point, which I think is was a very important one, and this is something where golfers ask me this all the time, like, oh, I'm so worried about swing weight. I'm so worried about swing weight. And Bryce is like, I do not care about swing weight. I just want my golf clubs to weigh the same in the set. Like from club to, like obviously your driver and those things are going to vary a lot. Um, but for total weight from your irons to your wedges, when you're using golf clubs like that, is very, very unusual. And he's got club heads or clubs in like the C swing weight, which is again, not something you see from a lot of stronger players and stronger, faster golfer, but to actually be able to, again, to be able to turn that around to me is almost is an impressive job, but it's because of the club head flexibility that they have. And this is where, you know, you see a forged blade and it's like, yeah, it's really cool. But like you can't do a lot with it, but when you have a multi-material club head, You have all of these options and it's just like we talked about all the time. You have a wrench in your golf bag, use it to adjust that driver. Ping has all these mechanisms in their irons to be able to adjust golf clubs to get something for Bryson where he's able to turn that over, which to me is, again, I don't think it's, for him it works, right? I'm not going to tell him that he's not a good golfer, but it's just, it's a fascinating way to to set up your set.
1: Absolutely. And it it does come down to, the point which is kind of interesting and it's uh you know and we're going to get into it later in, in a robot test we did seven wood versus three hybrid versus three iron is um you know golf's a game of how you feel and what feels right to you. And there are many different implements that can achieve the same results or similar results. And, and, and what Bryson highlights is this works for him. And this works for his swing and all of the conventional wisdom be damned. It's it's, this is what makes it feel right. Control, right and hit his distances and if that works great it's like we're so programmed to think okay clubs have to be this long clubs have to be weighted this way clubs have to be you know swing weight is 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 a classic one because uh it you know the especially with custom fitting is you know we're finding that there's there's no um absolutes anymore that it does come down to a player's tempo, it comes down to a player's style. then it comes down to a player's confidence, how they feel when they swing. It. And if they feel good and are consistent with it, I think that's ten times more important than any sort of prescribed ideology that says you've got to be this swing weight. you've got to be this fixed weight. Hey, if it works for them and they swing well, go with it.
0: I can think of a very specific example where I had this uh, three wood. And I used it for a long period of time and I never threw it on my swing weight scale. I just never bought it. I was like, I hit it fine. I didn't, you know, I I had an adjustable tip on it, grabbed a head, put it together. It was basically standard length for a three wood, so around 43 inches. And Mm -hmm. the shaft was, I think, 80 grams standard grip. And one day I finally threw it on my swing weight scale and it was like C8 and I was like, Mm -hmm. that's unusually light compared to my other golf clubs, even my driver or like my five wood that I play. And I couldn't figure it out. And I was like, is it because the shaft was different shaft? Is it counterweighted? Is the head light? And I found out that not only was the shaft slightly counterbalanced by design, but also not, um, the, the head was lighter. And I thought it would have, you know, I just assumed that the head weight was what it was and it was fine. But then I also wasn't going to change it. Why would I change it? Right. Just because a a, a number is produced on a swing weight scale, the proof's in the pudding. And I use it for months without ever checking it. And all of a sudden you could show that to some players and they're going to freak out. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. It needs to be like this swing weight. It needs to be this. It's like, well, once you start messing with that, the shaft's going to play to like, it's going to play softer because you're adding weight to the club head. And now all of a sudden you're, you're changing the, the overall MOI of the golf club and doing all these different things. It's like, why would you change that when the proof is in the pudding? And I think for Bryson, you know, he's got his formula. He knows what he likes. And if that's what's working for him, stick with it. And I think that's an important lesson to take, right? If someone hands you a spec sheet yeah. after the fact and you're like, oh, well, shouldn't it be like you know, D2 or whatever, right? Because that's a number that people kind of generally focus on because they see it as like a standard spec or whatever. But it doesn't mean that it has to be that all the time. And if it's working, let it work. That, that to me is like my well,
1: biggest piece of advice. I'll, I'll tell you one of the things working with Bryson blew me away. His his driver shafts. Sometimes some of his driver shafts they're in the regular flex range.
0: Yeah, and, and it doesn't and matter, right? It, like it, <laughs> you see with the long drive got, they're using these mega flexible golf shafts, but because of the way they deliver it, it's delivering the right loft and at the right yep. attack angle yep. and all these things. Yep. It's
1: crazy. Now, now, now I will say the conventional wisdom does hold. If you don't have incredible hand eye coordination <laughs> or and are an elite athlete, but the point being. it it, once again it's it's okay to experiment it's okay to look at at different clubs and different shafts and and not be locked in i'm 105 miles an hour i got to be an x player nah you might be a smooth 105 miles an hour be able to get away with an s even a strong r if if your timing's right and it feels right and etc so it's just it's you know the bottom line is go try shit try it out, hit it, you know, see how it feels. Don't get locked in to some ideology uh, or as I like to say, groupthink. and, and we're guilty of it in this industry and saying, Oh, you absolutely have to go in this direction. Cause this is the type of player that you are. Yeah.
0: That's a, that's a, that's a good point there. Um, now, one of the questions I get, I think Jonathan gets a lot uh, through social. I do the Q and A's on Instagram and all that stuff. And it's like, a versus B product or B versus C, or, you know, I could do the whole alphabet if I really wanted to, Uh, but it's like, is there a better golf club? Right. And I think we used to see, I would say maybe five, not quite 10 years ago, but in like say five, six, seven years ago, used to see all these like YouTube channels do like, you know, driver, this versus driver that, like, which one's better, which one's going to do this, which one's going to do that. And in reality, one isn't, Better than the other. It's just one is better for other golfers than other players. And I know last week, I, you know, from the conversation I had with with Thomas lossy from Cobra, it's like it's all about segmentation when it comes to products. And the key now is like there's really no such thing as a bad golf club anymore. And the reason I ask you this is because you're able to eliminate all the variables because you got the robot just hitting balls and spitting out information.
1: No, 100%. And here's what I can say absolutely about that uh the last uh i'm trying to think the last bad product by a major um i'm not gonna name the major i'm not gonna name the product but it was one of the first attempts at an all-carbon driver that didn't didn't go over very well but um uh they pretty much don't let anything out the door unless it's absolutely performing their their testing methodology is so solid at this point from the modeling to the robotic testing to the final play player sign off testing everything is buttoned up and everything's got to be buttoned up remember this a year in advance so everything for 2024 is getting locked up right now and and you know and the manufacturing started now to your point about segmenting the marketplace a hundred percent 100%. 100%. And they and they go and they do demographic studies and they look at players and they look at trends and they look at data, 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 data. And all they do all day long is try to analyze their core customer and find out everything that they can know about that customer. And it's what I call, which I applied to so much of my life, the bell curve philosophy of life. You've got this bell curve And at the peak of that bell curve is your medium point. And on either side, before it really drops off, you probably got 60, 70% of the population. And they are trying really hard to capture that 60, 70%. And then they also try to address the outliers. And what they'll do is they'll have clubs that'll bleed into the outliers. Now, are they going to have a club for the person that misses the ball every third swing? Probably not. Are they going to have a club for a player that's swinging 150 miles an hour? Probably not, but they're going to get a lot of clubs. And then on the elite side, I'd say they're even more so because now they're customizing based on trying to keep tour players happy. So they are really dialed in on the elite side. But in the center, they're always focused on amateur golfers, amateur golfers that are realistically somewhere between 12 and 24 handicap, and they try to create a variety of options. and. You know, one of the things that makes me a little nuts about, you know, not to knock like other sites and things like that, but some guy gets up there and hits two clubs and goes, Oh, this one doesn't work, you know? And it's like, no, that one didn't work for you and didn't work for your swing. And you're giving an analysis based on that. And you're not actually giving the product its proper due. And to be honest, um, it, 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 it doesn't do justice to the product because the product needs to be evaluated based on the type of player that, that it was um, uh, tested for. And one of the things that we do in robot testing, and I know I sound like a giant ad for myself right now, but I can't help it, is um, we try to take all of that subjectivity out of the equation and just go, this one launches higher, this one launches lower, this one goes to the left, this one goes to the right. This one drops off on the toe a little bit more than this one does. If you hit this one up here and then you decide, you decide what kind of player you are. You decide what this information is and how it can benefit you. But I I tell players all the time, you know, so one of my things when I get on an airplane, if I think I'm sitting next to a golfer, And we're on a long flight, and they start talking to me, and they ask me what I do. I'll tell them I'm a large rodent exterminator, because I don't want to spend four hours talking about golf clubs, because I know the rabbit hole that I'm going to go down. It backfired on me one time. This guy had a raccoon underneath his house, I had to bullshit my wife for three hours trying to talk about how to get rid of his raccoon, which... I'm sure the guy has, I'm I'm sorry. I was lying.
0: I actually deal with (laughs) robots.
1: (laughs) That's another story. But when I do get sucked in and, and, you know, the first question that I've asked over and over and over again is what is the best club? And I go, I know this is going to sound like a pun answer, but it's the truth. There is no best club because I don't know your specific swing I don't know what your. even if I knew your specific swing, I don't know if you're looking for distance or accuracy. And if you are, then the club you have might not be the best club based on your goals. And so there's so many things that go into it. And at the end of the day, it's have a good relationship with your fitter, have a good relationship with someone who's qualified, explain what exactly your goals are, and then you can start to test. But sorry you I, you knew you were gonna put a quarter in me on this one and get me all wound up but there's there's no bad clubs out there there's just bad fits and you just have to find the right fit that helps you maximize your game and your goal
0: it's kind of like um you know I usually I usually stick to car analogies but I think the one that I would use in this case is like would you you could buy the world's comfiest slippers but you're not going to run a marathon in them like there's no point or like you could buy the, the greatest combat boots of all time. But if you want to lounge around in your house and then they're probably not going to be that comfortable. Right. And I, it's, it's about finding the exact thing that what you're actually looking for when it comes to equipment to get the most out of it. And to your point, it's like, which this leads right into our other our next topic is like, is a seven wood a bag golf club? No. But if you deliver it, like uh, what's it, the long driver uh, bomb gardener, like probably not a great idea, probably not a great option. But if you deliver it with a lower club head speed, then it's probably the the, one of the best options for you. And that is, that is that the thing that that I have people message me because they think I'm punting on the, on the question. It's like, you're not answering. You don't want to like, you know, ruin some relationship with a company or something like that. And I'm like, I don't care. I truly don't care. It's the fact that like, no, you have to go get fit. I'm not telling you that like one golf club is better than the other because it's not true. It's, it's the it's about the fitting it's about the clubs you get and it's like look i got almost every single driver from every oem this year now some are a little bit more forgiving some offer some are a little longer some are a little shorter obviously they all have like very different cogs and they all look very different and they come in a variety of different price ranges but let me tell you having the ability to use a launch monitor and i have a lot of time on to be able to do this but like this is what a fitter like makes this process a lot quicker is to be able to dial it into the settings, dial it into a potential shaft, a length. And then, you know, in some cases, maybe even mess with T height. And the next thing you know, I've got five drivers that literally all perform exactly the same. Off the middle, yeah, they all perform no. exactly the same.
1: Hundred, hundred hundred percent. And also, you know, you, I don't know if you remember this, but you, you like, you were on a rant, I don't know what this was six, eight months ago about the chipper, and you were just absolutely in love with the chipper. And the chipper is an interesting club because most self-respecting players won't play the chipper because they think it's a chops club. But the point being, if the chipper works for you and and cuts down your strokes, you know, on a hole, guess what? Put the chipper in your bag. It's okay. It's if, if that's if that's part of your if that's part of your set set or your game that you need to work on, and it works for you, go with it. it, it we, especially elite players, it it makes me kind of nuts. It's like we're all about ego, and we're all about you know, uh, oh, we've got to play this type of club or that type of club, and it's like. Dude, if you score less, just play with it and, you know, run with it because that that's all that matters at the end of the day. Are you taking somebody's money or not? It's that simple.
0: I prefer to take other people's money. Not that we gamble for a lot, but I definitely prefer to take other people's money. Um, now, speaking of of fitting, and this is so, yeah, I mean, unless we're talking counterfeit clubs, and that's completely different. I about to put mm. another quarter in the in the in the gene. Mm.
1: <laughs> I have had the opportunity. <laughs> know over this. The Please, years.
0: if you've tested some and stuff, I want to know.
1: It's really, really cool. I did a piece for golf channel about 10, 12 years ago. And I didn't even know these sites exist. But I mean, the bottom line is if if anyone listening is perusing the internet, and they and China in in all fairness has done a decent amount to crack down but it still exists um if you see a new callaway or TaylorMade driver for two hundred dollars less just you know delete that site delete every you know thought of it and, and get as far away from that dark corner of the internet because these clubs I, I had them and they brought them out to me and i could not tell the difference visually could not tell the difference it was scary everything down to the serial numbers were etched. Everything was perfect until you hit them. And when you hit them, you realize number one, they went with the cheapest shafts boss. It was all about aesthetics. And then oh, it was a tent, pole. Cut them- it's basically a fiberglass yeah. tent pole that they've paid. Exactly. Exactly. And then we cut them open afterwards and you could see that there was no technology inside that they were all hollow, you know, and, um, but it was really fascinating because if you would have handed me one to test i would have swore that it was actually the club but the performance characteristics um were all over the map and it was it was really really spooky and you know uh, my whole thing is if you're price sensitive buy something a little lower on the price scale that you know is from a reputable manufacturer than trying to go for, you know, one of these kind of like discount deals from a counterfeiter thinking it's going to be just as good as you're going to be severely disappointed and more than likely the face will cave in or the shaft will break in, you know, six months or a year or so. And you're out, you're $299. So it it, it was, but what, what blew me away, well, you know, I, I've been to Hong Kong a ton of times and you walk down the street in Hong Kong and, you know, they will hand you a Patek Philippe that you can buy for $25 and you look at this thing and you can't, it's weight, everything about it is exactly the same. And can you just get like, me one of
0: those next time? <laughs>
1: that kind of goes against this conversation that we're having right now. But uh, I'm uh, you know what the
0: thing is just like a golf club, I just pull it apart at that for 25 <laughs> bucks. I'll pull it apart. I don't even care what it like
1: wearing it. Yeah. I'm more but curious. It's, 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 it's wild. It's really wild how uh they can aesthetically make things look like things that are the real deal. But ultimately when it comes down to it, that same watch, it blows up on you in six months or so. And some people are like, eh, Makes it look like I have a Patek belief. so who cares for six months worth of use? But um, yeah, I stay stay far away from counterfeits. They're just they're not good.
0: And I, I think you you made a really valid point there for a lot of people. Is if if you're looking for something, there's a lot of online retailers that deal in selling authentic. They've been doing it for 15 years. Golf clubs online, like used golf clubs. They're, they specialize in used golf yep. clubs, and I've bought a ton of stuff from them. Uh, a number of them. 'Cause that's like I I've shown it off before the collection of all kinds of junk I got kicking around in my shop here. And I've tested them. Like I've I've tested a 10, 15-year-old Tour Edge exotics, and does it keep up with the new one? No, it doesn't. But is it really close? Does it still perform really good when you hit it well? Of course it does. And I'd rather tell someone to go spend fifty dollars or sixty dollars knowing they're getting something that might be a little worn but you know it comes with a real golf shaft you know it's coming with a tight tip like in that tours out think it's got a titanium club face it's got a steel like shell in the back of it like you're buying technology that is legitimate kind of just like you are buying something new it's just older right it's kind of like um in a way I think of like cameras because it's a mechanical option like item that like yes there are newer options but apparently right now with gen Z's like instant digital cameras are like a big thing right now and I'm like I've got three of these things that, like sit around in my house then they just collect dust, and apparently they're cool again.
1: Right, but
0: yeah. it's way better to do that than risk buying real, like true junk, <laughs> true
1: stuff. Yeah, no, it's, no, 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 it's no, awful.
0: No. And it's not only like that, but like, if they got the screw in the bottom of them, I've seen ones where they've failed. Like they're the they, all the all the metal, all that stuff is so cheap that a like yep. couple off the hosel and this head goes flying, and it's like, well, now someone's going to get hurt, and that's literally the last thing I want to see happen. Yep. Hey, can I talk about something? Am I, can I Before say no? We- I mean, we're talking to each other like <laughs> this, but I can't physically stop Eugene.
1: What do you got? <laughs> well, well, it, it, this is something interesting. And um, it's a continuation of last week's podcast about the fade versus the draw. And I wanted to highlight something that I think uh, will be kind of valuable for listeners to understand the mindset. and And I was looking through some of the data and it, it kind of highlights – so um, we all know that Rom is gorilla strong, right? The dude's got a backswing that most people, they bring back to their pitching wedge, and he's got 180 miles an hour of ball speed, and he's just he's, – he's so incredibly strong. But he hits a power fade because he wants to be in control. Um, the two guys who were in the playoff at the Honda this week, um, Kirk and Cole – I wanted to I did some research because I was kind of curious about this, and you, you previewed this in the um uh, in the intro about that they both play the draws. Do you know where they rank driving distance-wise? No. So Kirk ranks 114th, and Cole ranks 135th. Kirk has 297 yards, Cole has 293 yards. You know who's you know who's winning right now? driving distance, Rory at 329 yards. So if they're teeing it up, Kirk is 32 yards on average shorter, and Cole is 36 yards average shorter. Now, these guys both have, just according to stats, about 111 miles an hour clubhead speed, which is good and used to be, you know, kind of high tour average. Now it's obviously not even top 100. These guys need the draw and they need all the risks that go with the draw in order to be competitive. So you can make the argument that we talked about last week because the fade will create more control. They have to be more on the razor's edge week in and week out just to compete against the ROMs and the Rories of the world to stay up. So it's really fascinating. And for this week it worked, and you know, more power to them, but it's really fascinating. I think that a lot of these guys, and Bryson is the unicorn outlier, that he's just distance, distance, distance. So he's looking for the draw, even though he's at the top or usually at the top as far as clubhead speed is concerned. But most of these guys, I think, go to the draw out of necessity as opposed to out of choice. And the reason is they're 32, 36 yards with the draw. They've got, you know, they just don't have the firepower that these guys at the top of the list have. And so they've got to try to squeeze every single last yard out of that golf ball in order to be competitive. Because if you're 30 yards behind Rory, good luck to you. You know, that's that's a major disadvantage.
0: So you've got 14 driving holes. Let's say on average, it's 30 yards. So 10 to 300 300- Plus the four is what's that? 120. So, like, uh, was that five? Almost 500 yards. You're giving up 500 yards. You're giving up a whole par, long par four, basically. Like yeah. you, have to, you have to play yeah. an extra par four just to keep up, which I think is an, it's it's a it's an interesting way to to look at it because there are a few players like Fitzpatrick plays a draw. Um, Cam uh, Cam Smith is a is a draw guy. Picked up some yardage yep. there. Uh, there's just not a lot of players that really hit it. And we saw it from DJ early in his career. DJ came out on tour and was a draw player. Yep. And then he just he realized, that, okay, well, I want to be a little more consistent. I have all the strength and power and length that I need. And he went to this went to this cut right. And there's that old video. I don't know where it exists out there. It's like DJ, how do you hit a cut? He goes, well, just uh, aim left and it cuts. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> that's beautiful. That's like that's the greatest that's the greatest <laughs> explanation I've ever heard. Like. And what are you doing here, to draw? I aim right, and I just make it swing right, left, left right to left. I'm like, okay, this
1: is awesome. But uh, no, it he's, is. he's he's becoming my hero, by the way, with that Netflix thing. He's like, you know, they're like, DJ, are you going to watch this? No, I already participated in it. Why would I want to watch it? I'm like, oh, dude, you are living the life. You have got it figured out. I think he's like, he's like the big Lebowski of uh, of golf. He's yeah. just, he's the dude. He lives his life. And, you know, for so long, I was like, you know, I I don't want to say frustrated by him. I'm like, come on, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. And then I'm realizing, man, that's just the most zen, chill out way to live your life. Just be the dude, and it's all good. So yeah, mad <laughs> yeah. respect for him at this point.
0: Now, now to finish on, you know, the draw. what We just what we talked about there. Kirk lost the, coming down the last hole. He and and Cole did the same thing on the I guess it was the eight, it was the 72nd hole before the playoff, where. Kirk hit it out into the water. It did not turn over. Now, there's a couple things we could look at here. One is it was getting a little cooler in the day. Was there moisture on the ball? Is that reducing the ability for the golf club to produce spin axis on it? Right. And mm-hmm. I mean, I've definitely mm-hmm. hit shots where, you know, it's early in the morning and you just don't see the ball cut. I or you just mm-hmm. don't see it draw, right? And then Cold just basically hits at the middle of the green. You could hear him having this conversation with his caddy. If I'm gonna miss, i no matter what, it's going to miss left. And he hits it over towards the grandstand. Didn't go in the Grandson. It went to that collection area, like kind of short left, chipped across, almost chipped, chipped into the fr- uh, fringe, and then came back, two putted, or, or kind of, yeah, two putted, and then made the par. Kirk made the bogey, and then they went back and, and did the playoff again. But that is the thing where, like, if you are playing that shot and it does not come back, and you have to aim away, like out onto something, right? And I think the old adage from a lot of teachers used to be, Do not aim at something where like a straight shot puts you in trouble. Now that's a fair point, but I also know some players and and good players and players like to work the ball. They say, listen, if I aim in that direction, unless I completely hit the worst possible shot that I'm going to hit, my swing path is going to like correct, or it's going to like manipulate. So it's going to hit a draw. So if I aim really far, say for a right-handed golfer, right, my face to path is just going to be exaggerated. And no matter what the ball is going to swing to the left and I'm going to just blow it over the target. Versus, because that's the difference of then hitting it away from the trouble, but having it work back towards the trouble. And I think that's the one where it's like, do you hit a fade? And then like, hope that it like doesn't over fade. Right. Like I, it's an interesting question, but I think Kirk was that example where like, you know what, he stuck to his shot, didn't quite get it done, but then he hit the wedge to like 18 inches. <laughs> so he ended up winning anyway.
1: Well, it's, it's, you know, It's know your miss and, and, and it's no, and it's no, and you know, we've talked about this and I think I've told you, you know, I've done testing this like asymmetrical uh, face angle and impact when you swing inside out and you can go one or two degrees open face to path. If you're three degrees inside out and you're just going to hit a block, but it's still going to land. You go two degrees closed. You've got a 60, 70 yard snap hook. And so your error, your bailout is that block. You've got to hit it perfectly in order to hit that draw. And it's a function of where the CG location is in the head, but it's no, you're missed. And under pressure, if you've got, you know, things on the left that are bad news, play it a little bit for the right, play that block, know you're missed and know what your tendency is. And also, and this is the key, and this is the key from testing, and this is the key from you know experience with your club is know how your club's going to perform, and know you know where that miss is going to be, and that will put you in a much better position. And that that extends to all of us, you know, uh, as to how we play the game. Is the more you understand about your equipment, the better off you're going to be when you play golf. And one of the things that I like to do, and I've talked about this in previous podcasts it's really freeing for me when I hit a bad shot, man, I know it was me and I know what I did. I don't have to blame the equipment. I don't have to think about it. And I know I'm very fortunate in that regard, but it's this, but I'm like at the Zen Buddhist stage of that because you know what I do, but you can get like halfway there, three quarters of the way there by hitting a lot of balls, understanding what your club does, understanding what your club does in a miss. And that will put you in a much better position, especially under pressure, to perform or at least minimize really bad things happening.
0: Yeah, uh, a great. As we get close to the players here, one of the things that I always remember, it was uh, Paul Goidos when he almost won. If you watched him tee up the ball, he always teed, he teed it up very low, like extremely low. And the reason was, and you know, you, you hit it low, you're going to hit it low on the club face, it's going to spin more. But Mm -hmm. he just knew, like, I'm going to hit it low on the club face and it's going to go straight and it's going to hit a cut, right? And I think it is important to understand that there's a difference between maximizing straight distance and maximizing efficiency of actually hitting the shots that you want to hit. Just like a couple weeks ago, we talked to to Lou Stagner from Arcos and, like, all the data that they have. I can think of how frustrating it is as just a normal golfer when, again, it was a very cold morning and I hadn't played in a while. When we're going to play, I think it was the Friday at the PGA show – and it was a dog leg left. There's water on the left. And it's like, this is great. I'm just going to hit it over the water. And I'm going to let it, I'm going to hit this big heel cut. <laughs> it's just going to fly over there. And I don't have to worry about it. it's going to find dry land. And of course I squared up my face to path and just hit this beautiful straight shot right into the middle of a pot. And I thought, well, I guess, you know, first tee it happens bound to happen. I didn't hear any hit any rain ball or anything like that. But I know I managed my miss. It was just a case where, you know, the miss didn't happen to work. But I think that's right. where you see the best players is, like, they know where they're going to miss it, and I think that's really important. Um, now, last but not least, I think this is something that every single golfer can learn from, and I think it's uh, it was one of my one of my favorite videos that we've done so far because, I mean, I, didn't, I wasn't even in it. I was just standing there watching it. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was you, Jonathan, and Chris were talking about, the The question that we get a lot, which is properly gapping the top of your golf bag, and what's the difference between an iron, a hybrid, and, and and a wood, a fairway wood, that all have, we'll say, the roughly the same amount of loft. But what it showcased was there's a difference between the functionality of length, as well as center of gravity and length as a function of clubhead speed, how they all react very differently. And I think the standout here. W- not from a performance perspective, because I think it depends on the player, but was how much further the hybrid went than the iron and the ball fight that it produced.
1: Yeah, it was, it was a really cool test. So we did a seven wood, a three hybrid and a three iron. Now uh, we had to pick a speed. So we picked 92 miles an hour and I'm going to, you know, have a caveat before we start this, we had to pick a speed and we, and, and, Uh, If we would have done this at 82 miles an hour or 102 miles an hour, we probably would have ended up with different results. And I'm going to explain that in a second. But what we wanted to do was just kind of highlight the performance characteristics of the three clubs. Um, The seven one, let's start with that. The seven would launch at 19 degrees and it's oh and by the way this whole video so you don't have to write these numbers down or anything is up on the golf.com website so you can check it out and it's really cool to watch it's also cool because um we've got uh uh tracing technology so you can actually see the the um uh the trajectories of each one of these clubs which is a really critical aspect what I'm going to be explaining here on the pod, you can see visually, and it, it, it's really a strong visual. Uh, the bottom line, Sevenwood, 19 degrees, the highest launch, highest spin, 5200, and it carried about 200 yards. A great club if you have trouble getting the ball in the air. Really, really solid as far as that's concerned. Now let's go to the three hybrid. The three hybrid was our rocket ship, it was 14 degrees. 2940 spin 225 yards carry. So 25 yards further than the seven wood. Um, just overall it's arc. So imagine if the if the seven wood is flaring like this and coming down soft, that three hybrid is on uh, kind of a parabolic trajectory. Uh, which I absolutely love for both carry and total distance. Now let's go to the three iron. The three iron was 15 degrees now and 3640. So a little bit more spin, about 205 yards in distance. So shorter, longer than the seven would. But to be fair to the three iron, it's probably a club that's going to come to life more, five, 10 miles an hour faster and start to, to, to really produce I think 92 miles an hour as I said because if you look at the trajectory and you can see it on the video the three iron had one of the lower trajectories whereas the seven wood had the highest and the three hybrid was in between so uh really interesting if you if you're a slower swinging player and you need to get the ball in the air definitely check out the seven wood or a five wood and in, in, in those kind of categories to help you if if you're a middle player and are looking for kind of the just optimal club, man, those hybrids are just rocket ships. And if you're some stud player that just likes the look of an iron and swings fast, you can stick with your three irons. Even though, in all honesty, and in fairness, we had to scramble to get a three iron because there's so few of them in sets offered anymore. But it was was really cool just to look at and see Uh, Three different ways that you can achieve similar goals, and they're solely based on what kind of player you are, how confident you are, and what you need. Do you need to get the ball in the air, or do you want the look of an iron, and you can deal off that as you come through because you've got a more negative angle of attack, and you're going to be able to stick greens based on increased spin. But all things being equal, uh, the three hybrid will definitely hit the ball the furthest.
0: And the two takeaway points, which I know Jonathan made really well in the video, is if you are looking at building your set and going through that process, a lot of players would just think, oh, I'll grab the three hybrid. Now, a lot of OEMs put those numbers on golf clubs because it's easier than trying to just identify loft, although they do put the loft on the golf clubs as well. The four hybrid will probably might for a lot of players actually replace the three iron and the five hybrid might replace a four iron because of the extra length and the extra forgiveness and some of the spin that it can potentially drop off to get that trajectory and get the stopping power if you're looking to hit a shot that is is going to stop, right? And ping actually talked about this with the uh, we did test the G430, was they've progressively designed their hybrids. So the two and the three are designed to flight a little lower with a little less spin to be those replacements to be driving golf clubs or, and then the mm-hmm. the 4 the 5 the 6 even down to the 7 they start cranking spin into those things by adjusting the center of gravity because they become approach clubs for players at the at the lower end of the spectrum and i mean Sahith tagala has at, at the time i think he's, i mean back at the waist management i'm pretty sure he still only has the longest two hybrid lofted down so the thing's got like 16 degrees of loft on it and he hits it like a 3 wood which When you think about someone who is like trying to have that driving club and based on his swing uh, characteristics, that might be really all he needs. When you think about how far, I know, again, you guys talked about it last week on the show with John, like John Rahm was a lot of these players don't need distance in those longer golf clubs. They need the right distance every time. And that gets way overlooked because they've got enough speed. Whereas the average player is like, I need to get that freaking three with closer to my driver so I can approach greens or I can get it up there on a long par four that, that has some space to it. Like that is the biggest difference between these, these players. And the last part of it that I can think of is, and you, you touched on it there is angle of attack plays such a huge role in this, because if you're shallow, you're going to get a bit more spin out of the fairy wood versus being shallow with a hybrid, which is going to hit with like the robot did no spin. And all of a sudden, like I was shocked. I mean, again, I was sitting there. I'm like, okay, well, I expect the hybrid to go a little shorter, and it goes so much further because of the parabolic flight on it doesn't get yeah. up in the air, it doesn't spin as much, and it's kind of like hitting a knuckle iron, but with with like a fairy wood, right? It's like you yeah. get the. It is like the hybrid and the iron come together to hit this kind of like knuckle low flight that will roll out, which is why I, for I think, the amateur player. They're more common because they're trying to get that distance, but you don't see as many hybrids on tour for players who are using it for gapping because they have speed and they are looking yep. to to really hit that distance. And I mean, I talked to JJ from Titleist, and I said, "Hey, I saw Keith Mitchell still rocking this like nine seventeen fairway wood," and he goes, "You know what? We try, but like Keith's a fast player. Keith says one of the like he's one of the best drivers of golf on tour. He's one of the faster players on tour, and he goes." the modern stuff goes too far for him. He doesn't want his fairway to go faster. He wants the slow one. He wants the old one that is going to a particular distance. And you know what? He doesn't want to have to replace that golf club and learn something new where he can just use it. Like, why does he care? I'm not trying to gain 15 yeah. yards of my three wood. I'll just use this. And I think that is the key. When you see these older golf clubs in players' bags, it's because they fit a distance gap and they're not looking for distance anymore.
1: No, 100%. And to tease something that we're going to be you know, releasing in the future. You know we we've, we've done all the three wood testing. Boy, what a bag that is! I mean, it's it's wild to see the differences. And uh, once again, there's no bad clubs in the bag. There's just or in the group, there's just different clubs, and they all do different things, and they all have different. Uh, uh, performance characteristics and, and each one will fit a specific type of player. So, you know, I know every week we're like a broken record on this, but if this data doesn't back it up, it's go get fit, get, get a relationship, get on a launch monitor, understand your game because, there is an amazing amount of equipment out there that can really benefit you, but you need to understand and have the benchmarks and the basis to, uh, to really work with that and, you know, to move forward.
0: Well, to that point, And, you know, I did this when I tested the stealth. Um, what is it? The HD, the Fairywood. was, I intentionally like slowed down my swing speed to hit it. Like it's no use just me like going full whale on this thing and trying to hit a shot with it. Cause like, It's designed to go higher. It's designed to do that. But what happens if I slow my swing speed down? Just like we talked about the robot. But I will say, I can't say where it was, but I was testing new golf clubs from a company and they have two fairy woods. And what they've done with this new line is they've segmented it way more. So they've got a, a little bit more of a player's club and then the forgiving golf club, the forgiving option of these golf clubs, the three wood is a monster. And when I say big, I mean, it is literally almost a half inch longer heel to toe. And that includes front to back as well. And I told, I was talking to the fitter and I said, man, you're, this thing is awesome for like slow speeds, isn't it? He goes, yeah, this thing, it just wants to get up in the center of gravity. It's easy to turn over all this stuff. And it's got a little bit more loft, just like the HD. From uh, tailor-made it's got 16 degrees of loft on it, and all this other like stuff going on. Can't can't get too many details. I'm like, there's no point in me ta- going full cut at this thing. But let me hit some like slower speed shots at it, and it just goes. Pew! It didn't actually make that noise, but you know, this is a visual medium. <laughs> this is not a visual medium, but like, it just took off in the air. And I all I can think to myself when I hit golf clubs like that is the fact that first of all, it's my job to like test things, which is always a fun, pretty cool job. I don't get to like launch them off with robots, but to actually like try and incorporate what some other golfer might experience from a golf club, I think is really important because then we can explain it to that golfer and say, listen, you don't have a lot of speed, something like this, which offers a ton more forgiveness just because of its geometry, but also because of the way the center of gravity is designed. Like you have trouble hitting your three wood, find something big, find something with more loft on it, find something that's designed for you and your swing uh, mechanics. And you will find success because as we started off, there's no bad golf clubs. There's just the right one that's built for you.
1: Yep, hundred percent agree. Hundred awesome. percent agree.
0: Well, Gene, look at that. We keep we got it full circle. I didn't mean to like finish off with that, but you know, <laughs> we closed we closed the loop today. I can't
1: I can't believe we kept this thing on the rails. We mostly did. I you know? am. You know, it, it didn't go too sideways. So uh, J Wall will be J and Chris will be somewhat, you know, happy, and coach will be happy that you know we didn't burn the place down. So uh, you know, I, I'm I'm gonna pat myself on the back
0: and shout out to Chris because he helped me. Uh, I wrote a piece this week uh, from the fitter. So we taught we're starting to do these things where we're talking to fitters um about like different problems that golfers struggle with when it comes to their equipment and ways that they can help improve so you can go check that out on the website chris it was kind of our, our first uh, test case in that um answering questions about being able to hold greens which is what we just kind of talked about at the end there so you can check that piece out i know he's uh he's very busy in boston uh going through uh going through fittings right now uh, i did recommend that he go check out uh, mike's pastries because they've got uh, cannolis the size of like subway sandwiches <laughs> which is always great um, and then Jonathan, uh, which we'll have the full wrap up from Bay Hill, which I think is going to be pretty interesting. Cause I think for, you know, it's, it's almost like, like us opening style rough. We heard that I think it was from Xander. who said the rough rough was like just real nasty. Uh, well, someone wrote that up on golf.com. I'm pretty sure that's where I read it. <laughs> um, so you can go check that out. Uh, but Jean always a pleasure to chat and for everyone out there. Thanks for, uh, thanks for listening to